I came to Hill House to find the key to another world. Assisting me in this exploration of the unknown was Eleanor, Nell, who could look back into the past, and Theo, something of a witch who could see into the future. This is Luke, who didn't believe in anything, until evil, patient and waiting, made him change his mind. Hello, listening people. Hello. Ooh, Bartek. How who, are you? Who is there? Who's there? Who's there? Who could it be? Who's there? Ooh, I'm lost, Bartek. Lost in this podcast. Help me. Help me. I Where lost. I'm I? Bartek. <laughs> you fuck. <laughs> you fuck. I love it. Oh, Bartek. It's me, Ryan, your fellow host. You are Ryan. I knew that, actually. Yes, that's my full name. You are Ryan. That is the name that I am bestowed. Ulrich Richard Ryan. That's it. That's it. No Polish enough in there. No Polish. I'm sorry. We used to be spitting Polish like because we were both spitting and we both happened to be Polish. But now you're the only Pole in the room today and you just have me, the disembodied ghost Ryan. Ooh, I'm haunting you with movie recommendations. Ooh. Ah, fuck. Not again. Not again. This happens every three weeks. This happens every three weeks. We're here for Spooky Month. October is the time in which we look over movies of a much more creepy, spooky, horror, thriller, chiller, killer feel. And we go over them on our show, Pictures Power, where, yeah, one of us recommends a movie, whether that be myself or you, Bartek, or you, the listening people at home. You get to recommend a movie, and your movie recommendation is the next one up, so you better listen in. You better listen in to what the movie is at the end of the episode. So you have to listen to the whole episode. I'm so sorry, unless you haven't seen the film of discussion, and I always say you should watch the film for yourself, get your own opinion, get your own experience, and come back and hear yep. what we have to and say. And do not read the description. Mm-hmm. Do not read the description. Do because not the second paragraph tells you what the next film is. Yeah, but you don't get to hear me say it. And that's the difference. Yep. And do not Google what timelines are. Yeah, yeah. Do not do that either. So we are here today to talk about a movie that I recommended, a film that I have not seen before, mm-hmm. but I've been keen on giving it a watch. I got the date wrong last time. I thought this was a late 1950s movie, not an early 1960s movie. So that was my mistake. Mm-hmm. We're talking about 1960s, 1963's The Haunting, not to get confused with uh the 1999 film, or the television series The Haunting of Hill House, which I'll have stuff to say about all of those in a little bit. But uh, Have you seen all those? I will have stuff to say about those okay, sure. in a little bit. <laughs> but I recommend this because this has been one of those specters hanging around where I just have not consumed it. I like The Innocence, which is a very similar film of a very similar era of time, where it is woman in a house that's old, possibly possessed and creepy, and is it real? Are they insane? Is it haunted? That type of deal. And The Haunting is always one of those references, oh, if you like that gothic horror feel, and is it real or is it insanity, you got to check this one out. So I recommended it for that reason. So that is in part my history. I'm also familiar a bit with the filmmaker, Robert Wise. He directed Star Trek The Motion Picture, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Andromeda strain. So he's done some uh, uh, some science fiction. This is his horror. He's also done musicals, uh, which uh, is very good to know because he's a filmmaker that likes to use the sets. He likes to have space. He likes to have geography very much present in the locations that we are sitting in with our characters, which I do think is is very applicable to The Haunting as well. Yes, for so sure. So that is my history. What about you, Bartek? Any familiarity with The Haunting? Um, <clears throat> no, not really. Um, I've obviously heard of it before, but didn't know much about it. Um, at the end of last week's episode, you mentioned that, you know, about a decade ago, the Nostalgia Critic released a review of the 1999 version. Mm-hmm which I had vague memories of. Uh, basically, you know, a couple of people are in a house and that house has some creepy stuff going on. So mm. that's kind of the expectations I walked into this film with. I confirmed it is their favourite horror film. Nostalgia Critic, The okay. Haunting yeah. is their favourite horror film and one of their favourite films. So I just want to confirm that last time I said, I'm pretty sure it's one of their favourite films. And you're like, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah. So that's why you really hated the remake a lot. <laughs> that explains it. And and, yeah. But so you really not familiar with this one, though, this film at all? No, I wasn't familiar with it. Okay. So what did you expect coming in to this? What did you think that you were going to have happen when you sat down to put on 1963's The Haunting? Um... I didn't necessarily think about it before I started watching the film, um, but as I was watching it, I was unintentionally comparing it to The Shining in some ways, where mm-hmm. that was a film about you know a group of people, uh, only three of them, uh, staying in a abandoned, well, not abandoned hotel, but a hotel that just mm-hmm. has the three of them in it. With a history. With a history, and ghosts you know, were inhabiting it, and... Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> They were inhabiting the hotel. Ghosts were in there. They have a history with that hotel. Um, and they were influencing one of the, the people uh, staying with them, Jack Nicholson. I wasn't necessarily thinking that this film was going to have, you know, one of the main characters be possessed and turn evil or anything like that. But basically that, like, some spooky stuff was going to be happening to them and, like, mm. it would be very obviously supernatural. Yes, I was also very of a similar vein. I thought this was going to be your ghost house ghost house movie where they are in an old mansion, an old thing, and has a lived-in history, and there are ghosts and goblins and ghouls, and you're going to have those ooh, scary moments, and it was going to either be actual ghosts shown or it was going to be some elaborate, scheme because that's a lot mm-hmm. of these movies too whether it's real or the scooby-doo thing where it's like a real person and they're fucking with them or maybe i was also expecting a bit of that uh that old kind of campfire story type deal where you have like the the the, the, the hook hand on the back of the car that type of feel but in a ghost house setting uh where you perhaps have uh, maybe it is these people were doing a spooky thing, but then actually real spooky things are happening. That, mm-hmm. that was the general vibe. I really admire, if we go into what we think of it now, I really did admire the, the fact there are no supernatural beings shown on the screen. There are no special effects ghosts that wibble and wobble at you. It is a lot of implications. It's lots of things that happen that are 
hard to explain uh, in a way that isn't supernatural, but then you could argue as well, because we have unreliable characters that we're following. And overall, I really admired the restraint and how it focused a lot more on the psychological uh, and a lot more on the tension of these strangers being together rather than jump scare, ghosts, special effects, ghosty things. Even though, strangely enough, in real life, I'm really not into ghosts or that supernatural stuff, especially. Uh, But when it comes to movies, I'm a real big fan of these, these ghost films. I'm a fan of ghost movies. I'm a real big fan of witch movies, as you know, Mm -hmm. uh, having done the podcast. Uh, But in real life, I don't give a fuck about witches. I don't care about their aesthetic, their, their, their history, the Wiccans, and none of that really matters to me. But put a film on involving all of that and I'm 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 intrigued for some reason there's just a a certain allure about these things when put in a story that drags me in uh, just to that point are there things like that for you at all where there are certain things say in real life you're not at all interested in but you are drawn to it in a fictional context whether it be a movie a game a show a book anything like that for you um this wouldn't be one that I would, you know, say in a in a natural conversation outside of this podcast. But you have pointed out that even though in real life it is something that I avoid like the plague, I seem to really enjoy films about sport teams. <laughs> and it's very odd. Like when you pointed it out, I realized like that is kind of true. Like the yeah. the, the kind of conventions of those films do have this kind of appeal to me for some reason. The friendship, the camaraderie, the yeah. feeling of a team. And yeah, that's actually a good one. I, I, even I forgot about that because it's been a while since you've recommended a sports film, it feels like. <laughs> uh, when was the last one? I'd have to recollect. I'm sure someone I can look and be like, it's actually this one. It was like three episodes ago. Don't you remember when <laughs> Bartek recommended uh, this? Cube. That's my favorite sports movie, <laughs> right up there with Stoker. So overall, what did you think of The Haunting? Um, I have quite mixed feelings, and when I you know, thought about them some more and put words to them, I thought about some other previous films that we had done where I basically kind of had the opposite issues, oh. and so I almost kind of feel like a child who doesn't know what he wants, in a way. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm actually very stunned to hear this, because I was watching this, and I was absolutely enamored with this, loving this, and I was sitting there going, oh, I don't think this is too... Uh, Outside of uh, outside of the realm for Bartek, I was actually going to be like, oh, I expect Bartek to kind of come in and maybe be like, yeah, yeah, I thought it was, yeah. I have warm feelings towards it, but there were just a few things that were kind of bothering me throughout yeah. it that, again, because of some previous episodes, I was like, oh, man. This is going to be a tough <laughs> thing to please. Can we point out, did you notice who one of the actors was? I recognize the name in the credits, yeah. Russ Tamblin? Yes, who is? He was Dr. Jacoby in Twin Peaks. And of course, he in this is the young, handsome Luke. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw his name, like, oh, well, I'm sure I'll recognize him. Then, like, halfway through the <laughs> film, I was like, oh, wait, this is, like, 30-something years prior. I probably <laughs> will not point out who he is by the end. <laughs> but he's Luke. He's he the handsome Luke, young yeah. man. He was in West Side Story. 
Come on again, which is by the same director. I'm pretty sure. If we if we ignore if, if we ignore the fact that he was in deleted scenes of um, Firewalk with me, I think this might be the first movie I've seen with him in it. Yeah, I would say that we've done on the podcast. Yes, yeah, because yes. I he was in Django Unchained. But uh, oh well, then that will be it then. Yeah, he's yeah. been in yeah, and I'm sure because the two main things in. that I know him from are Twin Peaks, and he was in that one episode of Babylon Five. <laughs> yeah, so you've never seen West Side Story? No, I haven't. Well, we might have to change that one of these days. I also want to point I, out that there, there are people feelings to musicals. <laughs> there are people screaming. Yes, Robert Wise also did the Sound of Music, one of the great movie musicals. I I, I know you're screaming I that. I think at I've me, seen people. that one. <laughs> so uh, there's yeah. a captain at the dinner table, right? Yeah, <laughs> Russ Tamblin is great in this. I just want to shout that out. We are used to him as being strange, avant-garde, weird characters. Here, I actually like that he was the young, fresh-faced cynic mm. and uh, a pessimist. If we want to go there, and I, I really delighted in that. I thought he was magnificent here. He was funny. In a way that didn't, for my taste, intrude upon the drama. Yeah. His style of comedy didn't feel dated either. His comedy felt like a person who would be in this reacting rather than 60s comedy being thrown he, yeah, in he to was, alleviate the tension a little bit. If we, if we look at the other three main guys as guys of the three leads as being like the sort of elevated fictional mm. story characters he felt very much more like normal mm-hmm. the, yeah. as you said cynical normal um trying to see everything rationally yeah he has no investment in the supernatural yeah. while everyone else has some investment in it yeah. and the doctor then does our main character does as does theo the dialogue the the way the film's shot just all these things about it like makes it seem really mystical mm. and deep and things like that and for him it's just very normal throughout like mm. when he mentioned like i'm going to turn this room into a nightclub like the concept of a nightclub was the first furthest thing from my mind <laughs> but yeah the fact that he said it like made sense yeah and he's character. a young party guy and he just wants to profit yeah uh which i understand man i see yeah. you have this big mansion you want to profit yeah, off and, of even, and then by the end he has an arc yeah and even before we meet him when like you know they mention what this what kind of character this is it felt like very much like that character was fulfilled mm-hmm. the promise was fulfilled of what this character was going to be he has the last line in the movie that is in a a, a narration it ends with a narration from Eleanor, but he has, I think he has the last line before where he says, like, we need to burn this place down and salt the earth. Mm. And he looks at the mansion and then it fades into that and then we get the narration. We need to shove it ourselves we, out of this shit. We, yeah, and he had an arc. He started out as a cynic and by the end he's the one that is the most ruthlessly against the supernatural, demonic, evil presence, aura of the the hill house he is very much against it which there you go at the beginning he was just indifferent and thought of it as a cash cow and uh, and a a burden he's like oh this is going to inherit to me i've got to do something about it to now being like this is a a darkness in his life (laughs) which is awesome so overall i had a really brilliant experience with this i felt genuine tension and terror and suspense throughout this Mm -hmm. most people would reference this i mean i looked at the imdb trivia and it is there as like the iconic scene but the bending door the door that was breathing in and out was 
magnificently done. I thought the sound design to that was well done. The shot composition was magnificent. You had brilliant close-ups and angles to that where it it really was this imposing thing and you just had the characters' reactions to it where they're almost stuck in absolute fear of it and terror and they're frozen and it just adds this otherworldliness to it all. And that's the film, The Haunting, to me. The use of black and white is effective. I cannot imagine this not in black and white. It's one of those where it would be almost sacrilegious to make this in color, which is what happened later in the 90s, and they did it with CG and crap. But I was in the... Films have... Certain films, especially horror films, say, or films of this kind of spooky variety have a vibe. Mm-hmm. Like John Carpenter is a very beloved filmmaker because he has a vibe, as does David Cronenberg, as does Lynch, where they have a vibe to their movies, an overall mood and sensation you get when you watch them. And that's what I got from this, a really well-defined, really clear vibe of gothic horror and the sense of people trapped in a location going mad. Talking about John Carpenter, that's the thing. The thing is a bunch of men stuck in this inhospitable location, slowly going crazy while there's an alien threat. Here, it's these people stuck in this mansion, slowly going crazy while there's a possible supernatural threat. And I really enjoyed that. It was a film where I liked the characters a lot as well, and I'm sure we'll talk about them. But for me, the character itself was that tone, was that tone and that overall mood that was transmitted to me from my television screen to my eyes and into my heart. It is one that lingered with me. I watched this at like 11 o'clock at night with all the lights off because I had come back from an event and I was like, oh, I'm going to watch The Haunting. And it was just one of those where it starts out slow. But before you know it, it is is it is ratcheting up the tension. There comes a point where it just it clicks into gear and you're like, you're off to the races now. But that is just how I fared with this. I'm, I, I want to hear what is this uh, strange relationship you have had with The Haunting. So, good branch off point there, you mentioned the start was slow. Mm -hmm. Um, I was actually really, really hooked in from the start. Like the beginning uh, narration bit where you're learning about the history of the house. You've got this narrator with a clear voice, like telling you basically this little horror story. Mm. Um, Beautiful shots happening. Beautiful shots happening, yeah. The woman falling down the stairs was a particular favourite of mine. Yeah, yeah. you know, you're you're learning little bits about who these characters are, but not too much to the point where they feel fleshed out. So it feels like a horror story that you're being told, and it's got this really spooky vibe. Like I was really enjoying the vibe of that part. Um, you know, you're learning who the family are. There's this girl, and you feel like, oh, is this girl going to be important? And you very quickly go through her life story. Mm-hmm. She ends up not being a factor. There was a sort of like negligence thing, mm-hmm. very similar to Friday the Thirteenth, actually, that we had last week, and very similar to our main character's own story. Yep, for sure. Um, and it really kind of set up this idea of like, okay, there's going to be you know this this horror movie where there's going to be you know ghosts or spirits kind of. Uh, you know, doing things, and that's where the horror is going to be coming in. Um, 
and what I was mainly thinking about with uh, The Shining, which we reviewed almost three years ago exactly, I think it was like early November three years ago, Mm. Um, in that film, uh, I was hoping that that one would be a bit more of a, you know, not supernatural, just psychological Mm -hmm. stuff going on. Um, And I was a bit let down by the fact that, you know, it kind of turned to ghosts. It was still a great film. Um, Magnificent. But yeah, really great. Um, but I was, yeah, kind of hoping for a bit more of the psychological. And in this one, it kind of seemed to be playing in the opposite, where it was very psychological and the acting, the characters, they were brilliant, very empathetic towards them. But I was kind of hoping for a little bit more of, you know, some supernatural elements being a bit more obvious, not to... Mm. I, I know that in the original script, there were some very implicit things mm. or explicit things, and they wanted to be a bit more subtle um, but I was hoping for a little bit more of a, I guess, traditional horror kind of story. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah, you, you, you're right. You are a child who cannot be pleased. <laughs> because, I, yeah, I, I wasn't expecting that to be your thing of you wanted there to be more of an overt ghostly presence. Because for my money, I think there is. I think there's enough here where you would make the argument that it's the events of a supernatural entity or entities haunting this place and gaining the yeah. evil but there's also enough of the the psychological and the people going mad i i found I that also, balance to be yeah i found that balance to be uh well well done i'm also work. yeah really struggling to get rid of the whole death of the author thing because when i was reading the trivia and about how you know there was going to be the twist that it was a it's a mental institution all mm. along i was like oh that's kind of the vibe that i was getting from it and i mm-hmm. kind of wish that i didn't know that part yeah, I I understand that. I just I didn't factor that stuff in either. I just I read the stuff afterwards. I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. And there's a book. This is based on a book, of yeah. course, called The Haunting of Hill House. And they had to just call it The Haunting because it's too long of a title, which is very amusing to think about when only a couple of years later, Doctor Strange Love would come out. But I, uh, uh, well, just to touch that briefly, there's The Haunting of Hill House book. The Haunting in 1963, The Haunting in 1999 with Catherine Zeta-Jones as the Theo character, and the Netflix series The Haunting of Hill House. Those are the four that I'm aware of, of this Haunting of Hill House adaptation franchise. Now, I imagine there's probably some others in amongst there and also ones that were probably inspired by the book or even the film and have riffed on it, but I'm just going to those. I have not seen any of those until now. This is the I have not engaged with any of them until now. This is the one I've engaged with, The Haunting. I've been meaning to check out the book. I've been meaning to check out the Netflix series I've heard good word of mouth about, but I've just done that thing where I went, oh, that sounds cool. I'll get around to it. Or, oh, yeah, sure. And then just never done it. Mm-hmm. But uh, here I am with the, the, the very acclaimed film and... Yeah, I didn't realize that there wasn't going to be as an overt ghostly presence because from what I do know about the Haunting of Hill House television series and the 1999 remake, there are ghosts. They are there. They are running around and there's CG effects and jump scares and going ooh at you and creepy stuff in the background and you blink and you miss it. Ooh, was that an entity? And so I did know those things from those remakes. So I was thinking, oh, well, I'll be in this. There'll be elements of that. And I appreciated that there was. It was a pleasant surprise. It was a pleasant surprise. And I didn't miss that. I I, I, I very much 
went in that opposite direction to where you are, I guess, where I'm just like, no, no, this is what I need, more of this psychological, more of this. Um, and again, I know that last week I mentioned that that's kind of what I look more forward mm-hmm. to, um, but I guess since we were doing Spooky Month, I was kind of expecting, you know, the opposite. Did you not? Ex- did you not think this was spooky? Again, when I said before the characters are great and I was very empathetic towards them, um, that was the main feeling that I was getting, almost like psychological drama. Mm. Um, But I do agree with what you said a little bit earlier than that about how there were very suspenseful scenes, like when they're freaking out and like they're hugging each other, Mm. all of the stuff with the the spiral staircase, you know, there's a lot of tension there. All the sounds in the house. Yeah, so I guess thrillery drama is more what I saw here than like spooky horror. Really? What about the door? The door, the big wooden door that was breathing in and out and in and out and the door jiggling, like, that's spooky. It was, it was, it was suspenseful, but yeah. But like, how do you, how do you justify that as a, as a non-spooky, super, non-supernaturally thing? Like, that's the big bit in the movie where like, well, that's very supernaturally, like that is beyond... Well, obviously, I'm, obviously I'm not world. saying that there is no supernatural stuff here going on because there is the whole mm. sort of mystery about, like, is there, isn't there? Is there actually, like, ghosts doing these things? Is mm. it just in their heads or is it just, like, you know, the wind? Yeah, well, and then they keep saying, well, there is no drafts in here. The, the house is actually pretty tightly wound up like that. And there's like, well, what is this then? This cold spot. Mm. It's, it's yeah. stale, stale air. This, this is another one that definitely a second viewing would help for for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've, you've got me. I'm, I'm, I'm just like, wow. I found this a very spooky movie. <laughs> it is like the embodiment of spooky uh, to me, without actually having the ghosts show up physically. Just the overall presentation of it, the music, the outfits, those character archetypes, the the uh, the people. Uh, sniping at one another and trying to understand if it's their conflicting personalities and their own personal baggage or if it is the influence of this house, this evil house. And, uh, you know, I don't know, there was just uh, the poetry to it all of history repeating itself and... uh, literal history like these there's these statues in the house that are of historical figures and yeah you see like faces in the walls and things like that man this was just for me it was a rip-roaring good time let's go to those characters because for me and for many and for you as well the characters are, are really what are driving this as well because yeah you have the general presentation and that overall mood and aesthetic but that means nothing well, it depends. It means nothing for the most part if you don't have good characters or yeah. well-defined. This would be a different film if the cast from Friday the 13th were in the house. It would be. So we have, uh, let's go with the Doctor first, because he's, I guess, the least, or well, like the, the lesser figure out of our, of, out of our four. Uh, he's noble Doctor Man who seems to believe in the supernatural. He wants evidence for it, and that weighs in on how much of this is real or not because he's the most level-headed. He's the most, uh, uh, like, unshaken by these things, but he personally wants it to be the supernatural. So that, as an audience member, as a viewer, 
gets you thinking about where you fall or where you are supposed to fall when it comes to is this real or not because he's the most level-headed one he's not being arrogant like luke mm. he's not being pig-headed but he he has an agenda behind what he believes and so when creepy things do happen he is naturally more inclined to look at it from the supernatural lens, but then he also flicks me like, well, it could be this normal thing, though. But the way the actor does it, I really like this actor's performance where when he does give the rationalizations, it feels uh, very logical, very determined, but also empty. <laughs> where it's like, you know that he's saying it because it has to be said, but I don't think he believes it. What about you? What did you think of uh, Doctor? I liked him. He was, yeah, very kind of gentlemanly, very pleasant. Um, yeah, he's the one that kind of invited everyone. He, mm-hmm. he gave the call to adventure for everyone. Um, he tries to take the lead in everything, and he's the one taking it. No, I was going to say he's the one taking it the most seriously the whole way through, but he, he's the one that's trying to keep everything a bit more organized. Um, because, I mean, I think our actual lead, um, Eleanor. Eleanor. Uh, what was Nell. Her? Nell, yeah. Uh, she was taking it pretty seriously, I think. Well, she was convinced that it was beyond our earthly realm type mm. of deal. When he's taking it seriously in the fact that there's, you got to look at this analytically and you got to look yeah. at it like this, but he clearly wants it to be supernatural. Yeah, there is an interesting level of comfort when he is on screen, but then, yeah, he's also reacting to all the things going on. Like, we had that scene where the two girls were in the room freaking out because of all the knocking and shaking, and then when they finally opened the door, he and the other guy were just walking by. It's like, hey, what's going on? We, we, we were dealing with, like, a dog or something going on. Mm. And it's just this really weird thing of, like, uh, not only a dissonance, but also they didn't hear any of the things that we, the audience, were experiencing mm. alongside these very stressed-out women. Uh, so yeah. it's this weird thing of, like, yeah, you're comforting me a little bit with your attitude, but the fact that you are not on the same level is kind of disconcerting. The writing and the performances really gelled well when it came to an implication or a subtext for the characters. With the Doctor, we don't know too much about him as a person. We know him as his job. A lot of the time. We're looking at him from his job and why he's here and his role in it and as an academic. But when his wife comes into the picture, that's not a large portion of the film, but the writing and the acting gives us a lot of implied history and yes. gives us a new understanding of this man. Oh yeah. And but in real in realness, it's not a lot in the script or in the screen time, but little little goes a long way. And so when she comes in, we see him turn slightly to a different uh, tact of his being and far more personal now. He's been the level-headed one or he's been the more removed one and he's not been as, like, emotional. Uh, He's had his emotional points. Like, he's been startled. But when his wife comes into the picture... Now he's in full husband mode. Yeah, there's this there's this new sense of like uh, you know, dissonance where it's like, ah, oh, woman, you don't get it. This guy knows what he's talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. But then there's another thing of like, this woman probably knows this man better than anyone else. So, mm. am I still trusting him the same way that I was throughout the film? 
There's a, interesting. The the wife character was really really awesome as well. I I liked her attitude about how she doesn't believe in any of this stuff, but also like if it happens, then great, awesome, we can get this done with. She's just very much like we we've got to go, like we've <laughs> got to have this, and then she disappears from the film, and she has her own little adventure apparently, and even that reads as. How you mentioned the the incident where the uh, two female leads are shaken by all the noises, and then the two men open the door and they're just casually like, "Hey, what's going on?" And there's that element of like, "Are they lying? How did they not experience this?" Mm-hmm. I got that with the wife at the very end, the way she came out and her story, and like things that weren't adding up with her. I got a similar vibe of like, "Are you?" are you bullshitting us? Like, are you real? And if it is, what happened to you? But we don't get to really see it. We never saw what happened to her from her perspective. We get to hear about, like, the house deliberately was, like, misleading me and fucking with me. It's like, yeah, was it? Or was it that you just got up in the middle of the night and got lost? Mm. And then you kept getting lost and you got lost and lost and lost. (laughs) Like, we don't know. There's this sense of... um, When she comes in, too, we're so in the main character's shoes... In Nell's shoes, we don't trust the wife. There's elements throughout all of this where it's like maybe this is her playing a practical joke, maybe she's gone away now, maybe somebody's killed her, perhaps. Who knows? There's just this element of mistrust and fear of this wife character. So when she does jump like jump out at the end and perhaps makes our lead character swerve the car and die, there's an element of like where do we land as a viewer about that? Like, do we believe that story about how, no, she was already on her way to hit that tree and she saw me last second. Like, where do you, the wife character, although a small cog in this story, really added a lot. Yeah. very. very it's reminding of Burning too. Like the end where we're like questioning back on certain things. The main thing that I'm kind of thinking with her though is, you know, the stretch of, like, she ended up somehow at the top in, like, the attic or something, mm-hmm. which seems like a little bit of a stretch to say, like, she got lost and then somehow ending up all the way out near the gate. So I am still leaning more towards, like, supernatural things were going on, yeah. for sure. Um, and also because it leads into the whole poetry of, like, every 90 years, you know, mm. someone dies at the tree. Yeah, that is that is that rhyming scheme as george lucas wants us to remember it's poetry it rhymes. Only rhymes yeah <laughs> but also we got a very minor element where it does come across her character would just do this to to fuck with people like because she doesn't take it seriously but we don't know enough yeah that's an element where this isn't a criticism this is a, a negative criticism this is a positive she's underdeveloped in a way that is beneficial oh yeah for, for this type of film you want that intentional thoughtful underdevelopment when she arrives the doctor becomes very male masculine he has to go up those stairs to go get nell and protect her and bring her back because she's this poor innocent woman almost like a child that needs to be looked after from that point on he's very much grabbing her and protecting her and telling her what she needs to do now while before he was treating her like an intellectual equal but then when his wife came along, that changes and the movie changes and it really colors his character differently about what persona he puts on in front of who. Yeah. Because Eleanor is clearly in love with him. 
But then the wife comes along and that fucks things up. You can see her snap. You can see her be like, no, no, I like him though. I have a thing for him at least. And uh, yeah, and then he turns all husband mode and it's very, comes across almost in moments antagonistic for Eleanor to see that side of him where he has to grab her and bring her down the stairs. And like, mm. you have that cat, it almost feels like a cat and mouse chase when they're going up the spiral staircase where she's like looking down at him and he's yeah, looking up and yeah. he's just like, don't you keep following me? It's like, don't you keep going up then? It's very <laughs> musing. I like that performance. Very dignified. Very dignified. We already went over Russ Tamblin a bit, but uh, tell me a bit more about your overall experience with this character because he doesn't immediately enter the film either. He takes a little while to. He's the last show one of the four that we're introduced to. Yeah, um, I think of the four, he was the most understated presence because obviously we're following Eleanor the most. Um, her relationship with Theo is one of the major focuses of the mm-hmm. film. Um, and the Doctor is the one kind of keeping everything together. So, like you said before, he brings this sort of comedic element without undermining the whole tone. Um, you can be an audience point of view character as well. Audience point of view character, for sure. Like I mentioned before with the whole, like, getting on the stairs nightclub thing, mm. he is bringing this different level of, you know, language, performance, uh, psychology Fourth to show, yeah, this this isn't just like you know, this creepy supernatural horror film. There are these are real people that are experiencing this thing. And since he looks at this as real things, his character a lot a lot a surprising amount sets up things because he physically interacts with the house. So the stairwell, he gets up yeah. on it and he shakes it about, and we see things get set up. And he does that a lot throughout the film. He just mm-hmm. he has these little moments where because he's physically touching things. So he doesn't look at it like they do as like a installation or a piece of history or perhaps an article of the supernatural. He's like, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to drink my booze and then, you know, all that kind of thing. So there are moments in the film where he sets up little things like that big breathing door. He's the one that closes it and fucks around with it. And we get a lot of that because he's the more understated character. He's more comedic relief, but uh, he's also horny. Is it not overt, not too overtly? Like, he's, I wouldn't say he's a sleaze, but there is an air of lust to him. Like, mm. he very much enjoys hanging out with two very attractive ladies in a house alone. You yeah, can well, tell when that he was, from Russ Tamblin's performance. Yeah, when he went on the stairs, he was literally describing, like, I'm going to have a bunch of women on these stairs and doing the can can. <laughs> And for, for 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 me, and I'm curious to hear your point of view on this as well. That that lust aspect, that 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 that, that sexuality that he brings is actually very important to the movie because I think there's a very much a strong sexual component to the haunting. I think there's an undercurrent of sexuality and sexual attraction happening in this story. How do you feel about that? Um, definitely there is, uh, this kind of deeper connection between the, the two female leads, um, where a lot of their performance together involves a lot of intimacy to, you know, calm each other down, which you can read into as being the level of attraction between the two. Um. Or the one. Or the one, yes. Um, and there's a, the contrast with that where you have these moments where, uh, Theo is, you know, very affectionate, touchy, um, 
she even does like you know little intelligent things or or psychological things like you know saying something mean to mm. Eleanor to distract her from the fear, make her feel anger instead of fear. Mm. Um, but then you have these moments where her mood shifts and she is a bit more genuinely antagonistic in the mm-hmm. way she talks. Um, so yeah, it does this bring this interesting, I guess, sexual tension in a way. Because I I, I look at it as a. Uh... A, like love square i guess or, or, or like sexual square because there's a four mm. you have rust hamblin you have luke and he's just being a general mm, sleaze but again i want to emphasize this isn't overtly cartoonish he's not like using pickup lines or mm. touching them but rust hamblin's performance has just that that waft of it and you have scenes where he's trying to get with, the, like he's he's interacting with Theo, and the actress there does a marvelous job as well of really showing us that she does not like men. Mm. <laughs> like the way she interacts with Luke throughout this movie, every time he gets a little close, she just is like, uh, uh-uh, uh, uh, no, no, no. And that is again subtlety. It isn't like this overt thing there. That is me and many people pick this up when looking at the film and it's something that the actors were all working on as well when you read the behind the scenes of this. And then I read that Theo has an attraction towards Nell. I, I, I That is my read of it too and Nell does not because <laughs> Nell is attracted to the Doctor and the Doctor can't be even thinking about that because he's got a wife I'm going to go find her. And so you have a group of people who are stuck in a house who, because of their attractions and their interests, they will never be able to connect. It's a love line more than a triangle. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's people who will be unable to connect because they're attracted to the other thing or they're rejecting of the other thing. That's That's why I also look at Theo's behavior throughout the movie where she gets very snippy and antagonistic at Nell because Nell is kind of fucking around with her as well. Uh, let's let's go to Theo character. What do you think of her? She's very mysterious. She's got a lot of... You know without the text saying anything that this is a character with a history. Yes. Just that, that performance, the way she looks, her clothing, the way she carries herself, the way the others react to her. This is a character where they've lived a life, but we are not privy to that. Mm. What do you think of her? She's got, yeah, she definitely speaks in a way that she's, you know, had a history. Um, I've already mentioned, you know, she's got like the two moods. Like you never know quite um, what moods you will see in any given scene because it seems to go back and forth. Um, There is obviously the uh, possibility, the very strong possibility that she has uh, romantic or sexual feelings towards Eleanor being possibly lesbian. Mm. Um, That was definitely a possibility in my mind. I was more focusing on, I guess, from Eleanor's perspective, um, the whole idea of how women typically are a bit more intimate with each other than Mm -hmm. men are with each other. Um, So in this kind of, uh, you know scary environment where the fear of the unknown is at play and also the fact that Eleanor has brought on so much psychological baggage that mm. she, you know she's constantly narrating to herself and they're all strangers things they're strangers they don't know what's going on um me as an audience member who was empathizing with Eleanor I was always 
cheering for the moments of like, well, yeah, get get together, you know, mm. make each other feel better. You, it's not as scary when you're together. So when you have these moments of tension where they're apart, it it does feel a bit more tense there because hey, now something really bad could happen. Does I? Yeah, this almost sense of. Hmm, how am I going to phrase this? Uh, they're more vulnerable when they're apart. That is the way to look at it. I agree. And the film and those characters finds way find ways to separate themselves in ways that don't make the characters dumb. Yeah. I really want to emphasize that. This isn't a movie where characters separate off because they're dumb, but rather their emotional states are so heightened that they're being irrational and that's a that's a that's by design of the film this isn't just them being lazy this isn't this isn't uh, 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 the trip that we watched where our Leave main character knife. leaves yeah. a knife behind and it's like why would you do that or another character didn't kill a guy when he really would have and that's like Contrivance. They didn't leave a knife at the top of the rickety staircase that, like, just mm. a single nudge would make it fall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I thought the Theo character, they had lines of dialogue that implied certain things. We know that she's a societal outcast. That's just what we garner. And, again, it's that physicality that you listening, you should watch this performance, just watch clips of this or watch this movie that actress, the way she holds herself and the physical proximity she has towards Eleanor just communicates or gives us a lot to work with that isn't explicit because this is the 60s, for instance. And there, perhaps if we do want to read it as that she's a, she, she's possibly a lesbian, you may go, oh, well, it's the time period. We can't actually say that out loud. But also perhaps... Unlike in the 1990s film where Catherine Zeta-Jones is a lesbian, like her character's like, I'm a lesbian, and that's my character trait, because this was 90s writing of gay people where their character- And you said that she plays the Theo in that version, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Which is not bad casting, but- uh, That's good. But uh, where in the 1990s, early 2000s, gay characters were written as their identity is, I am gay! (laughs) Here, the, the, the removal- of that being a piece of knowledge that we have of the character adds to the mystique of the film because we don't know anything about Theo. If anything, she's the one you walk away with going, I know the least about. Mm. But And what her intentions are, this very cutting moment where she says, uh, you, you know, what was it about how, I, I don't think he killed your mother. And just, just the reaction from Nell about that. And... I want to get your take. I I didn't think this myself, but uh, it's possibility that a lot of viewers of this believe that that because Theo knows so many things that she may not have the ability to know, that there could be a possible psychic ability of this character. How do you feel about that? Oh, there was a line about how she has ESP, right? Yeah. I've kind of forgotten that part, to be honest. Because yeah. Yeah, there was that scene earlier where the Doctor mentioned like the reason for bringing mm-hmm. in everyone and i've kind of yeah it all just kind of faded from my mind as i was watching the film i completely forgot about it until just now but she keeps bringing things up that are clearly on the other character's mind and it's like how would you know that how mm. would she know about the mother how would she know about that theo to bring it up 
Right, so it wasn't mentioned beforehand. I don't think so. I think that was the first time we, the audience, were clued in on the idea that this character could have killed her mother. Because yeah. we knew that she had a backstory with her mother, and we learned from that point on that her history was very similar to what happened in this Hill House before, where the old lady banging out for help and uh, the carer just didn't come. We knew that she was caring for her mother, though, right? I, I believe we knew that yeah. as an audience, but I don't remember. But either way, that Theo character drew upon a, a fear and a mm. sadness and a trauma that Nell had in the front of her mind when we were having that sequence. Yeah, I guess I wasn't really thinking of it, because uh, I remember that line. Um, mm. I guess I wasn't really thinking about it in the sense of, like, how would she know that? But because we had that earlier scene where... And I've already mentioned it where she said something to make Eleanor feel angry so that that she wouldn't feel fear anymore. Um, I was thinking of this character as like, okay, she's a character who has experience with, uh, you know, life experience that means Mm. that she can, I guess, make people feel certain ways and that she would have like intentions behind the words she said. So I was more thinking of like, oh, what was her intention in saying that? I also think that she was a genuine antagonistic figure in the film for many portions of it. There's the ending where you, at least my interpretation of it is, she realizes when they're saying goodbye to Eleanor. Mm. You, From my reading, the actress plays it where the character of Theo has realized, oh, I pushed this too far. Mm. I broke this woman. <laughs> I, I fucked with her too much. Because that gave a character an arc because pretty much all the characters have an arc they have a certain way they start out and a very specific way they end that is almost a a 180 of what they were like we said we have luke where he doesn't believe in any of this and this is all nonsense and he doesn't actually have feelings towards it at all to the very end where now he has extreme feelings about this. He hates it. He, he's frightened by it. And same with the Doctor character, right? The Doctor character's all like, this is going to be a noble scientific pursuit and I'm a logical man. And then by the end, he is a very highly strong emotional character who feels the burden and the guilt of everything and is no longer interested in determining about this being a supernatural thing or not. He just wants to get out of there, honestly. And then for me, you have Theo, where it's very much, she's devil may care. She's very much nonchalant and flippant, and she plays around with people's emotions because it's easy to do. To the end, where she's pushed someone, she feels like she's pushed someone over the edge, and she feels guilt about it. Pretty much all these characters go through, and Eleanor, talking about characters, we could talk about Nell if you don't want to say anything more specific (laughs) about Theo. I, I again, Thea was my favorite character personally. She, although we don't learn too much about her, just her actions spoke louder than any words the, could. The fact that again, I didn't know what she would you know do, say, or how she will act next. Yeah, definitely drew my eyes towards her. She felt like a character who, despite you know having her experiences, despite uh clearly having some sort of intentions there was a level of like deep down maybe she doesn't know quite what she wants and is kind of trying to see what works and in the end she just chased too many rabbits didn't catch one i agree and we have our lead 
Mm-hmm. What did you think of the performance first before the character, the performance of Nell? What did you think of that actor's uh, choices? Because she has to play extreme. That's her character. She has to play very extreme and unlikable. The character is is many times a very abrasive and unlikable character. As actors, we we know that that can be a tightrope to walk. Mm-hmm. How did you fare with the performance? Did it work for you? Did it alienate you? Was it effective? Was it too much? How did you go? The fact that we did get so much focus on Eleanor meant that the elements of her character that are unlikable were at least understandable. We got the sense that this character is very mentally damaged. Um, she, The characters that we meet in her first scene, those are meant to be her siblings? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get that she's kind of an outcast in her family. Yeah, um, I think it's like a, her sister and the husband and uh, like brother-in-law. It, fa- we'll just generalize it to family. Yeah, yeah. Um, her close family clearly sees her as, you know, mentally unstable um, or untrustworthy. You've got the the argument where it's like, get out of my room. I pay for this. Well, I, you know, mm-hmm. pay for this as well. I, I forget the exact dialogue, but you do get this. Half of it's mine. Half of it's mine. Um, even before we find out her intention, like the sister or sister-in-law, the other woman uh, keeps insisting, I am not lending you my car because how will I know that it will come back? So it's like, okay, is she distrustful or is she you know, got the right idea. And it was mm. quickly learned when she takes the car, she kind of had the right idea because Eleanor, while driving away, is narrating, mm. you know, they'll never see me again or something like that. <laughs> but we know that this is the first time Eleanor is breaking loose like this. She's lived a very, even in this opening, when she takes that car, we understand that she's lived a very sheltered, restrictive life. Mm. So her doing this is breaking the mold. So it gets you to challenge the views of, well, is this the reaction of a woman who has been uh, not trusted by family? Is this the actions taken by somebody where those people were right about her? You you have to toss that up as we go along. And it really reminded me of Psycho in the opening. And this is obviously before Psycho came out. But in Psycho, we have our main character where she's a normal person. She's a just a, a woman who's making it in this world and she decides to do a bad thing. She decides to steal the money and drive off and this is her breaking the mold and we see how that will play out for her, how that will unravel her and how bad things will happen to that character in Psycho. And it did remind me of that where we have the pretty blonde-haired lady who's meek and normal and they've now done a criminal thing, a bad thing. And not only that, but they're driving away and they're justifying it in their own head. And we know that they're a little off already. It really made me think about that uh, a good portion of the time where I was like, oh yeah, Psycho is a good... uh, And we just talked about that with Friday the 13th, where there was some influences of Psycho in that, specifically in the music. And even... This is a character who obviously throughout the film has internal monologues, so narration... Mm -hmm. Um, which at some points I felt like it was a bit too quiet, but at some other points it was very clear. So, Oh, like literally sound-wise? 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Like to actually hear, but um, right. I, I, I didn't. I, we always have these. <laughs> but I swear, it's like you're listening to it on what your laptop, probably, or your computer. Well, again, I'm like I, on my TV, and without, I have no issues. But even without adjusting the volume, like there were just some times where she was speaking a little too quietly, and I could just barely make out the words. Another time where it was super clear, even without mm-hmm. changing. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was the copy I downloaded. I'm Who not knows? Sure. But um, I was going to say though, with the difference of that type of narration to that opening narration, which was very kind of like storytelling and Mm. like, you know, much louder um, and matching the visuals. Um, That one was very clear and elicited like this kind of poetic quality, whereas the quieter one where it was felt kind of natural talking to yourself kind of thing Mm. did give it a more unstable vibe. Which it I did. thought that at least was very effective. And the constant repetition of phrases and when she talked, like she would talk in her head to the house and you got a very much a sense of the mental landscape of our character that we were privy to, that the other characters were not. Hmm. And the characters learn along the way about how much she's unraveling. We already have a gathering of that from the very beginning that she's unraveling. We already know that she's not okay. But the other characters don't really know that. They're thinking, oh, it'll be fine. But it's not going to be fine. It's not going to be fine at all. I thought that performance was tricky because, again, it, it is a tricky thing. You have to... Uh, you know, especially female, you know, actresses are, are judged even harder for having to play the shrieking mad. Mm. Uh, you, you know, and I, I thought that she nailed it. I, I, I really liked this performance. I liked that it wasn't trying to be untruthful because it would be an untruthful performance to try and make the character sympathetic at all times. Movies of this era, say a little bit earlier in the timeline of things, but we did the Kane Mutiny. Mm-hmm. Where in the Kane Mutiny, we had our main character who should have been unsympathetic at many points in the movie, but that performance and that overall mood and uh, of the film wasn't allowing that. It was an untruthful portrayal of what that would be. Wouldn't you agree? We talked about that where it's been a while, but yeah, it's coming back to me. Well, we just had that milk toast plain normal guy and he commits a mutiny and possibly turns a man who's already a little bit on the edge and pushes him over into insanity and gives him a mental breakdown. And the film treats it like, ah, either way he gets to go on the ship that he likes as a captain. He likes, and he's got his girl and his mum's nearby and he's like, happy go lucky. And he, yeah, that's one of those things, especially of this era where the protagonists, even in your horror films like this, have to be sympathetic at all times, if not most. Mm-hmm. Here, it's rarely that. She's sympathetic in the fact that you you stated it earlier. We yeah. understand her, but that doesn't mean we have to like her. And yeah. many, many viewers still to this day can struggle with that. And it, and it is a thing where there's a lot of conversation of we don't have to have a character who is likable or does good things to be a good character. Like, we can have characters who are unlikable and do bad things and they are still a good character and a good performance. Yeah. Here, that is what I got. I thought she was... I couldn't take my eyes off of her. They did such a marvellous job, again, production-wise, her hair. 
starts out relatively formal and tied back and a little bit, you know, pinned up. And by the end of it, it's like, oh, my God, I didn't realize how long it was. Mm. There was a moment where she's running around. I'm like, oh, God, I didn't realize how long that hair was because it's so <laughs> it's it's all undone now, just like her. It's just undone and she's dancing and a lot of stuff happening there. Yeah, a, a lot of the empathy that I was feeling towards her were like in the moment, you know, these horror things are happening and scaring her. And it was all about, you know, like calming her down from this. It wasn't necessarily like, oh, you know, I, I like her. She's a good person. Um, just empathy for the situation that they're in. She meets an unfortunate ending. She, she, she's getting dragged off and she's like, no, I'll drive. It's my car. <laughs> Again, <laughs> that ownership of it. Yeah. But she's convinced now that she belongs to the house and that the house wants her. And she's driving off and she's like swerving and driving and she's saying, she's talking out loud like, why won't you let me do this? Let me drive, you know, all of that. Ellen will come home. Ellen will come home. And we get that the 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 doctor's wife comes out and then she swerves. And I want to get your overall reading and uh, uh, views on, on that ending, this tragic ending. How do you interpret it what's what's your reading of this um are you talking about in terms of the that there was a natural tragedy or supernatural um again going back since this brings back the doctor's wife um i think the fact that the doctor's wife is you know making these uh, location transitions that are pretty extreme. I mm. do think that the the supernatural forces uh, somehow got her to uh, you know the the location where the car mm. was driving to because Eleanor does drive for quite a little bit to get mm. all the way out there. So you know, character just walking or even running, you know, without direction. I feel like yeah, she would have been herded by. This, whatever the supernatural is. Now, just to go on that point, though, of of the 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 crash itself, mm-hmm. do you believe the wife's take on what happened, which was she was already swerving into it? Like by the time I showed up, like it was a last second thing, but I didn't make that difference. What do you think? Because to me, it was so chaotic visually in that moment. I c- I can believe that, but also I can believe the other. What What do you think? In my head, what I seem to remember from the perspective shot of the car, I remember the wife very clearly being on the right half of the frame for mm-hmm. pretty much most of it. And the car's turning to the left. Yeah, and I, but I seem to remember, and again, I could be completely wrong about this. I'm just basing it off my memory. You know, she's in the frame. Uh, she's heading towards the middle of the frame. Then she's heading away. Mm. If this is wrong, then I'm wrong. But if that's how I'm remembering it, then I do think that that was a last second, you know, mm-hmm. reflex to get away from the wife and into the tree. Yeah, I I have to have a look at it again. But my uh, my, yeah. my view was that the wife was telling the truth there. I, in my recollection, and this is a, this is the magnificent thing about the filmmaking here is it's such quick, rapid, and 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 the movement is happening. You have only a, a fraction of time to comprehend the the what's on screen, and this is competent filmmaking. This is one of those times where fast, quick editing and shaky movements and framing is very important. Because in my in my impression in my brain, 
I already had the sensation that the car was already turning and then there was this lady in the corner there mm. and you're like, whoa, what's that? Oh, is that her? And then we're crashed. Very much like real life car crashes, right? Where there's just so many elements that are happening that it is split hard to decisions. comprehend. It's very much like pinpointing what it actually is can be very difficult. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like you know, the, the wife's arguing she was aiming for the tree anyway. Mm. I don't agree with that, but I don't think the wife's you know to blame for it anyway because I think you know she was put there for a purpose against you know her intentions. And then we get Eleanor narrating at the end. That's her, right? That the house has her now, and yes, that's she's, right. She's here, and that adds another element of, well, is this her ghost now speaking beyond the grave? Yeah, were, were the ghosts like all the people that did die in that opening narration thing? Since mm. there were all these, you know, common elements, and we didn't talk about it, but this film gets uh, an A plus from me. I recommend this because we had some creepy housekeepers. They were only there a little bit, but I loved them. And they were perfectly acted. They were not cartoonish stereotypes of what you imagine them to be, but also they were exactly what you imagine them to be. Mm. They were the, the right level of unsettling. The, the wife particularly was 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 haunting in her performance. I know the haunting, haunting. She, she had certain line deliveries and smiles and just pauses that made me uneasy every time she was dispensing information while the husband he was just very much like over it mm. he just wanted to get out of there and he was just like, rushing I'm, try- I'm trying to warn you I'm trying to warn you okay oh, fine don't listen to me then yeah and uh, like Eleanor almost runs him over immediately <laughs> uh, which was also uh, a great touch I recommend The Haunting I recommended it and I do recommend it I think it is a very engaging film. It will leave a mark after you watch it. It is great for discussing and looking stuff up about it. And uh, if you are a fan of these uh, films where it plays around with what's real and what's not, and in a gothic horror type setting, then this is the quintessential one. This and The Innocence would be a great double feature film uh, night movie night uh they would be both excellent films to watch back to back uh but that is me what about you do you recommend this yeah go for it this one is very meticulously crafted um everything feels like it has a purpose uh yeah well, i've recommended two movies that you've been like ah these were interesting like a uh, stoker and this Mm. where you're like, ah, I might have to rewatch this. And you know, talking about it, you're like uneasy, but also like they're good movies. They're good movies. They are. I mean, I, again, I have to recognize my biases. Yeah. Their bias is happening. So we have a movie recommendation from a listing people out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wasn't, I was tossing and turning. Do we have another spooky movie? I guess for us in Australia, our episode would come out after i'm pretty sure the next episode will be coming out in november so november 1st yeah you're so... in australia but elsewhere it would be october 31st okay I, I was i was thinking this was the last one but we can go one more tossing and turning so i asked one of our friends for a movie recommendation and i told them this i said we're at this precipice where it's like it could be spooky month could be a normal movie and our friend reese recommends a film i know that one and hopefully he can join us next episode Mm. it is the robert zemeckis film what lies beneath 
okay. starring Michelle Pfeiffer and uh, Harrison Ford. So that will be the movie of discussion. He confused me. Reese confused me because he he wrote it with a question mark underneath, and I was like, "Is that the like?" the title of the movie or you ask because he asked me like oh any criteria and i said oh this and he said what lies beneath <laughs> and i was like is, is this a further question <laughs> or is a movie a questioning title no what it, lies there is, beneath your intentions right? but he was saying it like is this a good pick but in text it doesn't that doesn't work like mm-hmm. and when i'm saying it like hey bartek next week one of our listening people is going to recommend a film uh, what lies beneath like you know yeah, and you're like yeah, was that? yeah yeah sure that that sounds good but when it's just like in written form i'm sitting there going what am i looking at like is this one of those ones where it's like whatever happened to baby jane where it's a question in the title mm. but it's like if we, the haunting was called the haunting the haunt well i mean that would have been appropriate kind that actually, of. <laughs> yeah if this was one with an ellipses afterwards that also would work ellipses question mark yeah 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 it's one of those ones where the movie should have ended with the end question mark <laughs> and then a ghost and then a casper the ghost sound going Woo! and then it cuts to next time on the haunting so in the movie remake on 1999 of the haunting russ oh, yes. tamblin's character was played by owen wilson mm-hmm Catherine Zeta-Jones' character is also the Theodore character, and Liam Neeson is the Doctor. Okay. And instead, he's doing a... Uh, 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 he's saying he's doing, like, a, 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 a... Not a research on paranormal, but a research on fear. I'm here to see your fear responses in this haunted house, and there's, like, CG Casper the Ghost type. Okay, so he's, he, he's the crane... Yeah, and uh, the uh, other actress is Lily Taylor, who plays the Nell character. And Mr. Dudley is played by uh, Bruce Dern, father of Laura Dern. And he was in uh, The Hateful Eight, which you haven't seen, but uh, he's in that. And he's in a ton of things. He's in Logan's Run. He's in, he, he's always that crotchety old man who's very angry. But uh, uh, Mr. Dudley was the guy that opened the gate, right? Yeah. yeah. Mr. and Mrs. Dudley, the caretakers groundskeepers and all of that but yeah that is uh just fun facts about uh there's a lot of david lynch actors actually in this i'm looking at now (laughs) there's like virginia madsen who we all remember from from the film david lynch's dune where she narrates the movie uh you've never seen david lynch's dune no this is now a side topic everyone you can find us on the social medias facebook twitter spin polish presents you can email us at spit and polished at gmail.com and rate and review us but in david lynch's dune it opens up with like a narration where you have space and then virginia madsen's the princess and her head fades on to the screen mm-hmm. and it's just her a talking head basically and she's giving you like the big exposition dump of like this is the this is arrakis and this is this person and this empire and she, it goes on for like five minutes it's a very long monologue and then she gives us it all and she fades away beautiful music plays and you're like, you, you're like, okay, we're going to start the movie. And then she fades back up again. And then she's like, oh, I forgot to tell you something. <laughs> she's like, she, she forgot. <laughs> and then she's like giving us new information whilst also repeating the old information in case we forgot. This feels like David Lynch. And I'm like, this is the funniest way. Uh, to me, that feels like David Lynch being given studio notes. Being like, you got to have an explanation at the start about what this movie's about. Like, All right, okay. I'll paste one in. <laughs> All right, I'll paste it in from the book. And then I'll just do it again. Because <laughs> the audience is stupid, I guess. <laughs> That's very amusing. Thanks for giving me time to dream. Dream! Did you dream last night at all?
I don't remember my dreams, but do you? Did you ever dream recently that you remembered? Um, not in the last few nights. Wow, I'm afraid. Dreamless nights for Bartek. Wow. No, I think there might have been dreams. I don't remember all of them. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. If I ever dream, I'll make sure to tell tell it on the podcast. But until then, listening people. Don't hold your breath. <laughs> I was going to say dream on, but then I, was, I actually got embarrassed. <laughs> I was like, I can't say that. That's embarrassing. But if I say it like I was going to say this and then I didn't, it's less embarrassing. All right. A good good episode, Ryan. So let me just give you some notes about like you know, how you went this episode. Okay. Um, at the end, I think you should say dream on. Okay. Dream on. 